Manchester United 3, Fulham 1. Manchester United are off to Wembley. Wembley. One more time, Tom. Well, it might be twice more. We'll get into all of that. Welcome to the United Pubcast and the debate tonight. Is Eric Ten Hag lucky? We're going to dissect a whole bunch of action that happened in 90 minutes, followed by a little bit of madness that occurred in about 90 seconds. But Tom, we'll get into all of that. Firstly, how are you feeling after the result this morning, mate? It's how you want to start a Monday morning. Uh, I usually don't want to sort of start it with a 3.30 or 3.25 alarm for the 3.30 a.m. kickoff on a Monday. But ultimately, when it does result in sort of excitement like that, um, it makes it all worthwhile. And um, obviously, Manchester United back off to Wembley. Obviously, Old Trafford of the South, really, in terms of our, almost our second home. I don't like Wembley in the semifinals, the FA Cup. Maybe I'm a traditionalist in that aspect, but we do have Brighton there, which will be very interesting. But um, it is how you want to start, as a, start a Monday as a Man United fan in Sydney. 100%. When did Wembley in the semi-finals become a thing? I feel like it's happened in the last five years or so. Definitely not. Oh, no, no, it's, it started, no, it's what started in Cardiff in, in Wales when they knocked down the old Wembley, which would have been yes. the, the last final there was Chelsea and someone, I forget when it was, it would have been early 2000s, 2001, 2002, maybe someone in the chat would probably know. And then the semi-finals were at the Millennium. Be Adam. I think he was born in 2002. Actually, no, the semifinals, when the final went to Cardiff, the, the finals, the semifinals did say at Old Trafford and Villa Park. Um, I'm not sure when the semifinals at Wembley. I think maybe when Wembley opened, which United had the first FA Cup final there against Chelsea. Unfortunately, Drogba scored that extra time winner. I think that from then the semifinals were at, Chelsea, were at Wembley, which I'm not a fan of, but obviously they have to pay the stadium off. So um, it is what it is. It is what it is indeed. But before Manchester United get to Wembley, we're going to come back to Sydney because there's a lot to dissect about this football match. Tom, let me start with the 11. Uh, what did you make of Eric Ten Hag's lineup? Was there any surprises in there? No, I thought it was maybe on the right-hand side. Like I enjoyed seeing um, Jane Sancho, now, whether he lined up in the middle or on the right, I enjoyed seeing um, him being slated. Other than that, in terms of, obviously, I haven't heard from Eric Ten Hag, but you'd assume there was some type of injury with Rafael Varane. You don't expect him picking Harry Maguire over Varane. So let's say Varane was injured. I'm not sure he what the confirmation... He had some sort of strain um, yeah. report saying he'll be back following the international break. Okay, so his hands are tied there, so so that's not really a surprise in regards to, okay, Harry Maguire comes in. Some people would have preferred Lindelof, of course, but ultimately I think his hands were pretty much tied in regards to how he was going to select that team. I thought we'll get into Scott McTominay, who I thought had a poor game, but ultimately he's the replacement for Casemiro. Eric Ten Hag's not going to pick Fred to replace Casemiro, so ultimately there's no shock in that team selection. Uh, we'll get into the performance in a little bit, but in regards to what Eric Ten Hag had available and... Um, yeah, the, the team in front of him in regards to Fulham, I thought it was a pretty straightforward lineup. Now, whether we agree with that or disagree, um, although Eric Ten Hag, um, yeah, pretty confident in picking that 11. All right, let's go into the actual performance because, God, there's a lot to break down here. I'm going to address the elephant in the room, or maybe it's quite obvious to if you were watching, get your thoughts in. Manchester United deserve to lose that football game. I don't, I don't care what Eric Ten Hag says in the press conference. My eyes don't fail me, Tom. I know Manchester United scored more goals, and Eric was very uh, facetious in his comments post-match. But at the end of the day, that was a woeful performance. And I thought, if we'll get into all the drama. But I, I dare say if it was 11 versus 11 till the 90th minute, I don't think Manchester United would be going to Wembley. Yeah, if we didn't get that penalty or if Jaden, that ball doesn't go to Jaden Sancho and that play doesn't eventuate, uh, I had the very sort of confident feeling that we we're going to lose. I didn't see a way back. I, I just thought it was one one of those days where a bit of, little bit of luck wasn't on our side. But ultimately, 
more importantly than that, we weren't playing well and Fulham were playing very well. So I think we, we weren't at it. Fulham were definitely at it. And ultimately, you put that two, those two things together and it's a recipe for a long afternoon. And yeah, why didn't we perform well? Was it was Casemiro missing? Was it because Rafael Varane was missing? Was it a accumulation of the, the fixtures and we're a little bit tired? Maybe it's a little bit of everything. But um, look, we've been playing well recently, um, the Liverpool result aside. So ultimately, there are going to be sort of bumps in this road, uh, which we also all sort of agreed with um, a couple of weeks ago. Ultimately, when these bumps do come, um, it's how you deal with them. Now, yeah, why they've come, um, I've put it down to tiredness in terms of especially the way with the sort of we visibly saw the game and the, the look on the players. I thought, um, yeah, you go through and we'll talk about Eric Ten Hag and his team selection. Has this been coming in regards to his persistence with players like a Bruno Fernandes, etc., who I thought ended up having a very sort of important game. But um, it was a poor performance and ultimately uh, we did get very lucky. Now, rules are rules. It was a handball. He deserved to get sent off. So ultimately Manchester United did, did deserve to win because we scored more goals in the 90 minutes following the rules. But um, ultimately, in regards to performance, um, you're right. We were we definitely got lucky today. I'm going to bring up uh, Borsche from the Football Capitals comment here. Uh, McTominay was put again, but I'm happy he's getting game time. Uh, he will need well. Manchester United will need him in the final ten or so games. Tom, I'm going to dissect that comment a little bit. If you're Eric Ten Hag and you look at this performance. Normally we say if these players who are squad players or rotational players have an opportunity to force their way in to Eric Ten Hag's thinking or into Eric Ten Hag's strongest 11, do you think any player did the opposite today? Is there a player performance? And I hate to be negative when we obviously should be celebrating going to a semifinal, but we have to look at the performance that happened before us. Did any player for you perform to a level where you said, did Eric Ten Hag lose trust and say, actually, I don't know if I'm going to trust these players? I think the three names you, you sort of look at in regards to those, Jaden Sancho, I, I thought didn't, he got so much criticism online, but obviously had a very important game. So Jaden Sancho, if you want to bring that up a little bit later, I think he's an interesting one. But I think he's sort of standard, did, did positive in parts, negative in other parts. So I thought he did, did okay in regards to the rotation across that front three or even as a potential replacement for Bruno. I think the other two names obviously fall at Harry Maguire and Scott McTominay, who are two players who, when given the chance, if to sort of get a little bit more minutes under their belt, need to do a little bit more. I don't think they took their chance. I thought they both had poor games. I thought Scott McTominay, it was one of those ones, Scott McTominay and Fred, who was going to be picked in there, obviously, to replace Casemiro. It's going to be Scott McTominay, the way Eric Ten Hag views the game, and I think that's the right decision. But ultimately, again, that's not Scott McTominay's position. He's going to come in and do a job that he's not comfortable with. Now, Fred obviously wasn't going to be trusted in that role, so I thought it was the right decision. But ultimately, McTominay in that role didn't have a good game. But again, that's one of the ones where I do defend him, and I'm not going to have a go at Ganacho playing at, having a bad game at left-back. That's not his game. Scott McTominay's game is not dictate and play... Uh, picking the ball up off the back four. So, look, he was poor and he didn't take his chance. But again, um, I think he needs to be played in his preferred position, I think, in terms of the way we viewed his performance and the, the hate and abuse he's got on criticism as well online. I think it's a weird one. He had a better pass completion than Sabitza. You, you wouldn't really think that, but he did keep the ball a lot better than Sabitza. Now, Sabitza ended up going to have a very influential impact on the game. But again, it's how we view these plays. I think there are sort of, not dangerous narratives, but sort of, unsavoury narratives in regards to a few players, but a little bit deeper, Harry Maguire thought had a poor game in regards to, again, I'm not sure about the system in regards to, okay, were we playing bad because Harry Maguire made us play 10 yards deep? I'm not sure that was the case, but individually his engagements looked like Harry Maguire was wearing sort of size 15 boots and he's, uh, the boots were too big for him. He kept tripping over his feet. 
thought Lissandro Martinez had to bail him out a few times. So those names, yeah, long answer to your question, um, Scott McTominay and Harry Maguire, yeah, they had poor games ultimately enough to get the job done and get, get through, which is obviously what Eric Ten Hag wants. But um, in isolated performances, they yeah, um, definitely didn't take their chances. But as Borche says, um, the minutes will do them good. Yeah, I, I actually, I'm trying to figure out why United played poor. And, and I'm wondering, and, and we're asking, is Ten Hag lucky? And the, the reason for that is we said that prior to this game, looking at the, let's go back to Real Betis away. Second leg, you're, you're three goals up in the tie. And I just, he played a really strong lineup. And once again, Bruno Fernandes, the most minutes of any player in world football. It's absolutely outrageous. I mean, it's full credit to the, the Portuguese international, but at the same time, you, you have to be critical of the manager. And, and again, th- this isn't Eric Ten Hag out. This isn't you're doing a bad job. Nothing like that. He's brilliant. Been brilliant this season, the Dutchman. But this is where you, you put criticism at Eric Ten Hag's feet, Tom, because Ultimately, you look at that performance, it, it was very leggy. Uh, but I, I want to ask you another question. Do you put it down? Do you put United's performance down to fatigue? Or I'll put an alternative suggestion there Harry Maguire, Aaron Wambasaka, Scott McTominay, all occupying a triangle on the field, none of which you would call particularly technical footballers. Do you think that that might actually have something to do with United's struggles to play out and play the ball from deep into the final third? Yeah, I think that's something I didn't really give much thought, but it's, it's definitely a case of that in regards to obviously taking up similar, similar areas of the pitch, but also look at Fulham in regards to, I think they defended very well. I think they exposed what well, sort of highlighted the potential weakness in regards to the way Eric Hag wanted Manchester United to play without his preferred personnel, and, and they went for it. I thought Andres Pereira and that Paulinho had a very good game defensively in regards to stopping Manchester United playing out from the back. So ultimately, yeah, definitely a case of that. And ultimately that throws it back to, okay, is that Aaron Wan-Bissaka better on the ball or Diego Delo? We always, next week, Delo's going to be first choice and it's going to be Aaron Wan-Bissaka. Very interesting. But Casemiro, I think, like, in terms of Scott McTominay replacing Casemiro, I think so much of the discussion is, oh, Scott McTominay's not good enough. He's not good enough. Get him out of the club. I think the discussion, in my opinion, should be how bloody good Casemiro is. No one's replacing Casemiro. Like the job he does, I think that's what it highlights more. It's not so much McTominay's not good enough to replace Casemiro. Find me one player who is that's obviously attainable, obviously not a Rodri or anything. I think it really highlights how good Casemiro is because he definitely does make a difference. The thing is, when you look at that number six position, and particularly a number six who's, well, your traditional number six, your quarterback, someone who can get the ball off the back four, good luck finding one of those in world football who sits on the bench. Because the reality is that the good ones all start for their football teams. And I think that's where United struggle with. I think what, what United need to do is they need to identify the best young player in that position and then look to have someone who's 20, 21, who isn't looking to bomb forward, but they actually see him as a, as a screener because that player can play 20 to 30 games a season and deputize for Casemiro. And what you'd hopefully then have is have them gradually replacing Casemiro as he enters the latter stage of his career. But um, really interesting points. Marcus Rashford, leggy today. And again, looked leggy at Betis. He, he scored a rocket, but we said he's looking leggy. Tom, do you have any concerns? Obviously, we go into the international break. Um, but do you have any concerns about Manchester United's current squad um, heading into the final third of the season? I mean, Obviously, the performances have just been gradually getting worse and worse. None different to what I would have had six weeks ago or six months ago. It's the same squad, and we sort of highlighted all these issues back then. Um, maybe they're coming to roost now, and they're a little bit more sort of bubbling to the surface, but no sort of new issues I have with the squad. Um, 
ultimately, the, uh, would you say the performance is getting worse? Uh, technically, okay, you can maybe point to sort of one or two and say, okay, that wasn't as good. Maybe there is a somewhat gradual decline. But ultimately, I think we've played out a little bit from what was a disastrous result at Anfield. I think ultimately you are going to take a little bit of a hit there and you're not just mm -hmm. going to bounce straight back. I, was, no, I know there was the sort of one result against Betis, but ultimately we do have to plateau out a little bit sort of sort of get back on track and then hopefully have a strong end of the season. But um, ultimately, in regards to a strong end of the season, we do have players coming back in regards to Christian Eriksen. I think he'll be a big sort of um, big addition to the squad. Oh, here we go, like a new signing sort of thing. A yeah. huge thing as well in regards to the performance today. Obviously, Harry Maguire and Scott McTominay got a lot of the criticism up front. Veghorst, my God. Well, he runs around. I, I, nothing but respect in regards to the effort he puts in. He is nonstop. He's no good. He's shocking. He's, he's not a good. He's not a good footballer. And now, ultimately, he doesn't need to be a good footballer. He needs it. He needs to do a job there, which he's doing a very good job for Ten Hag. And I do respect him. I do like him. But you can tell the difference. I think we all, when he signed, we had that excitement and tried to get behind him. Well, he's got a good touch for a big man. That's a saying we say when someone's no good. It's simply when when a tall guy doesn't have a good touch. So he's got a good touch for a big man. That's code that he can't play. And look, I like Vegorst again, and fingers crossed he can have a huge impact for the rest of the season. But my God, when the ball comes into him, um, compared to an Anthony Martial or Harry Kane or Kylian Mbappe or Erlen, even Erlen Haaland, who we sort of agree yeah, doesn't have the best first touch, when balls go into those players, the, the play continues with Vegorst. It breaks down. And um, I think that'll be a big interest, uh, big interesting point on Anthony Marshall. He's the Burnley striker, isn't he? I mean, he is, well, he is the Burnley striker. And that, that's why I can't criticise him too much. He is what he is. And he's putting 100% effort in. So the last person I'll criticise in regards to like or dislike. But um, yeah, he's a Burnley striker. George asking the question is, is Martial going to rock up or nah? Look, the, the thing is, right, people might watch this and suggest that I, I'm an Anthony Martial apologist. Look, I am a fan of like he he passes the eye test. Obviously, I'm not going to defend his injury record. But if you sit there and you make an argument that Valt Veghorst should start over Martial, I'm sorry, it just doesn't happen. Like if Martial is fit for one more game this season, he starts it because he's that much better at football than Valt Veghorst, and he makes Manchester United that much better as a football team than Valt Veghorst. You, you know what? I think we're going to look back on this season. You know, you know what I'm really looking forward to, Tom? And obviously, we've got the international break. So lots of healthy debates and lots of footballing discussion about individual players to come, rest assured. But I, I think we'll look back on this season and look at Marcus Rashford's form and think, what could he have actually done with a strike, like a proper striker next to him? Because the fact he's floated centrally, the fact is, uh, you know, there's been, he, he's not getting, you're not getting the best out of him on the left. I think a lot of that is because United are breaking down in that central position of the pitch. And I just, yeah. I just, I'll be really keen to see what does Rashford do with an elite number nine? Because I think what his goal return already this season is his best. But I wonder, can he surpass what he's done this season? And obviously, we'll debate all of that. Um, Borsche brings up some good uh, number six suggestions uh, Ryan Graven Birch or Edson Alvarez. That's a good shout, the, the latter. Um, come well, obviously, Ten Hag, that's where you do sort of pin a little bit of hope on Eric Ten Hag and his knowledge and his connections in regards to, okay, maybe our recruitment a couple of years ago would have been to go get a 30-year-old from, okay, let's say Casemiro. And now that deal has obviously turned out extremely well. But that would have been, you could see us doing Casemiro under Jose Mourinho or under Ole Gunnar Solskjaer. Um, you can't see Gravenberg or Alvarez coming under those managers. That is where hopefully Eric Ten Hag um, has his finger in the pie and can help out deals like that. Alvarez is a player. He, he kind of looks like uh, Martinez a little bit, I must say. 
but good, good for but it's along the line it's along the lines of thinking what you said in regards to that next player uh, that the young player in the early 20s who can do that role and mm. okay it can slot in now and be first team material but ultimately maybe a little bit of a backup when needed in the big games I think so. You can't get someone to compete with Casemiro at the moment. I think that's where it'll be really, really interesting to see what United recruit for because you're in a position where this guy's still going to be good for at least another three seasons, I'd say. Uh, but then once he approaches 34, 35, there's definitely going to be a decision to be made there. Um, Borsha, uh, Vekos has played more games for United than Martial has for United in the last two years. Yeah, I understand that, mate. But Martial last season, he was injured. He was out of favour. Um, there were some concerns with uh, Ralph Rennie. From, from what? Um, it's a little bit tongue-in-cheek that obviously he wasn't at the club last year. He was at Sevilla. Well, half the season, right? Um, yeah. th- there was some suggestion. Um, I believe it was from The Athletic. Um, th- there was some suggestion that uh, when Ralph Rennie came in, he actually wanted Martial to play. Uh, but Martial was saying he was unfit, with, whereas the... There was a big miscommunication. There was an interesting one. I mean, it was a huge story in regards to Marshall refusing to play. Then Rangi said, no, that's not quite what he said. It was a mess. It was just a, another mm. um, incident in the dramas that sort of Ralph Rangi sort of... Well, was at, at, positively at times, but every week there was a new drama in a Ralph, in a Ralph Rangi press conference. And um, I remember that Anthony Marshall won. They ultimately both had to come and sort of find a middle ground and um, both sort of moved on. But um, there were huge um, questions then. Yeah, very, very interesting. You, you know what else I find interesting, Tom? Cristiano Ronaldo. Because I just I just, I just, look at the amount of football that Valveghorst is playing and if he didn't spit out his dummy, hmm. he could have played a hell of a lot of football. But uh, anyway, we'll get into that. Look, Adam, look, whether, you think, whether you think Martial should go or not, I'm with you. Uh, and if someone says Martial should go, I'm not debating that. But if you're debating whether he should start over Valtvekos now, sorry, I don't think there's a conversation to be had, to be honest. Uh, but, Tom, we will get into the positives um, and we'll wrap it into three, two, ones because um, I'm sure that will bring up the... Because uh, Manchester United didn't win this game. Um, I know you probably won't think so if you've tuned in for the first 18 minutes of this video. Uh, but Sabita Bruno Fernandes got his second goal. Whew, good strike. I love it. I mean, no defense helps, but nonetheless, good strike. Uh, but Tom, three, two, ones. Who had the most impactful uh, presence on the football game? I mean, I think it's a pretty obvious one, to be honest. But I'll give you the floor. Well, you say obvious. I was thinking this sort of right at full time when I was on my way to work, and I was thinking, okay, three, two, ones are hard because I was thinking throughout the match in regards to what we had to do and the, and the job that was the individuals had. I thought Alessandro well, Martinez had a very good game. In regards to the way he was sort of one or two last-ditch tackles, he was the only one really playing out from the back. So I thought, like, well, Sandra Martinez, I'm not sure we win that game now. There's a, a lot of reasons why we could have not won that game. But Lissandra Martinez, I thought, had a very good game. You look at Sabitza, probably a, sort of a 6 out of 10 performance. A very, I thought a good performance, but didn't really stand out. But then ultimately gets the match winner, which, which is a brilliant flick. I think if anyone's watched that in slow motion... Um, absolutely brilliant goal. But then you also looked at De Gea, huge saves. That, that save, I think, were, was 1-0 down. Or I think we're at 1-0 down. He pulls it out of the top corner. Bruno Fernandes, two goals. Uh, how can you look past Bruno Fernandes in regards to that impact, especially off the um, his fixture list? And ultimately, I look at a substitution when Anthony came on. Now, I'm not sure Anthony had the greatest game or not, but my God, the impact he had was huge. So in regards to three points, look, I don't know. Just in regards to two goals, I have to look at Bruno Fernandes. Big penalty, a lot of pressure on him. Um, so I'd be looking at Bruno Fernandes, but um, I wouldn't argue if that someone wants to look elsewhere around the pitch. You know I won't argue against Bruno. You know I won't argue against Bruno. At the end of the day, I think 
taking a penalty in that situation, it's a FA Cup quarterfinal. There's a lot of pressure, and I think a lot of players would miss that. Um, took it coolly as you like. So I'm going Bruno for the – he scores two goals. I mean, enough said. You, you mentioned that stat in regards to he's played more minutes than anyone else in Europe's top five leagues. Not just that, more than goalkeepers. More than goal – that that shouldn't be – I don't know. We have discussions about player welfare and everything. Should that be legal? Like in terms of a player playing more than goalkeepers, that's, I've never seen that before. Like it's always the goalkeepers top of that list, and understandably, rightly so. But for Bruno Fernandes to do that, and yes, we can have discussions about his suitability, the leadership, captain, all this. Okay, what's his best position? Are we a better team with or without him? They're they're all discussions. Ultimately, in regards to a player putting their all out there for Manchester United, he's top of that list at the moment, and um, nothing but praise for him. The thing that I think helps Bruno, because I think the, the worry is the Wayne Rooney effect. And when I what I mean by that is Rooney was such a good football player, but then once he hit 30, he just fell off a cliff. Well, to, if I'm being entirely honest, as much as you know, Wayne Rooney is my favorite player. I mean, obviously, I got the picture back there, but um, let's be honest about Wayne Rooney, Tom. He, he probably started falling off a cliff at 28, you know, like 28. He scored, I think he scored 34 goals the season before Van Persie came in. But it was downhill from there, and he, he kind of got himself back up for the moist season, and then he just slowly dipped off, didn't he? And when, when you're a good player like that, you'll have you'll always have moments of brilliance, but your impact over a season falls off. You mm. just think of how Rooney played, tenacious, covering every blade of grass. And I, just, I see Bruno do that week after week after week after week, and I just it just worries. I get concerned about his longevity, but where I think it's a bit different. The way Bruno plays, you could almost see him falling deeper and deeper as he gets older. Um, so I probably don't have the same reservation with Bruno as I did with Rooney. Well, I think that almost changed the game in regards to, again, we're giving three points to Bruno Fernandes, but the substitution by Eric Ten Hag to drop Bruno a little bit deeper. And I think in the last month or so, Bruno's best football has come from a little bit deeper, whether he's playing in that position or that's just where he's picking up the ball and impacting the games. I think now I, I don't see future for him as like a number six in regards to dropping back and playing like Michael Carrick. I don't see that in Bruno's game, but in terms of the attributes for specific moments where he can pick a pass, and I think it really benefits Marcus Rashford. I think he, Anthony Marshall links up quite well with Bruno Fernandes in tight spaces. I think they read each other quite well. But when Bruno Fernandes is 50, 60 yards from Marcus Rashford, I think that's where they link up best. I think because Marcus Rashford's always looking for that ball in behind, and Bruno's everyone knows Bruno's first instinct, get the ball, where's my through ball? So Bruno's always looking for that, and he doesn't really Great have that space. Range, Bruno, doesn't he? Because if Bruno picks the ball up in the number 10 space, it's, it's quite hard to get your head up and look for that true ball. A lot of people say, oh, your number 10 should be playing your most forward passes. Well, no, nine times, nine times out of 10, they had to lay the ball off, play backwards. That's where they're facing. If you can pick the ball up deeper, you can look forward into those true balls. So that's where I think Bruno actually suits his game a little bit, where he picks that ball up um, in that quarterback number six position. It'll be interesting. I think the recruitment of, well, obviously, Casemiro, someone deputized for Casemiro, what, what's of equal importance is that number eight position. Because I think, like you said, it, if you can get that player who's a bit more combative, because as much as I love Ericsson, and he, my God, now that he hasn't played, you can see what he just adds to this Manchester United team. But I think the drop-off with Ericsson is obviously defensively. If you can get that box-to-box midfielder who's a bit more combative but can offer you what Ericsson, maybe, look, there's going to be a drop-off because... Ericsson on the ball, I think, is in the elite players in world football. I know maybe that's not fancied or spoken about, but he is. He absolutely is. Uh, so I think if you get someone who's probably an upgrade on Sabitza, an upgrade on Fred, an upgrade on McTominay, 
Um, and then Bruno can play as an eight, but it'll be interesting to see how this. Well, da- David Ornstein just about an hour ago, before he we went live, put out a tweet saying Liverpool seemingly falling closer out of the race for Jude Bellingham. It looks like Man City and Real Madrid are potentially top of that list. So obviously Jude Bellingham's name will be linked with Man United, and ultimately that the perfect replacement. Now, what's his motivation to join Man United? Where does he want to play? That's another discussion. But I think everyone looking for that next central midfielder is looking towards Jude Bellingham. Whether he ends up at Old Trafford. Um, the betting man would suggest probably not, but um, is that prototype of exactly what you want? If we get new owners and there's an endless amount to spend, I think it's possible. Um, but I think we'll just we'll have to wait and see. Um, I, I really like the Edson Alvarez shout from being on. I, obviously, he's not a different kind of player, but I think United you know, can get by. Um, George, aren't we chasing Mason Mount? Uh, I don't. I don't know where that story came from, to be honest. I think it was from the uh, MEN. So I mean, I don't know if you really looks want to. Like trust he's changed, looks like he just had a change of agent. Um, Chelsea, whether that's going to result in a new Chelsea deal or he's looking for a move away, who knows? I take him as a backup. I think there's a player there. <laughs> oh no! Look, he's a brilliant player in regards to we'll discuss technical ability. He's definitely in terms of the upper echelon of players with ability. Um, how does that translate to consistent football at the highest level? That's another discussion, but. Um, you could see him definitely moving, and he would go to, let's say, a Man United or a Liverpool, or okay, obviously not Tottenham with the Chelsea link, but that type of club. And he will have a step up or a step sideways from Chelsea. I can't see him going to a Everton or a West Ham or something like that. I think he will stay at the top of the game. Mm. But um, if it was to be at Manchester United, it would be um, playing second fiddle. So would that tempt him? Probably not. So the player for me in regards to that area of the pitch, um, Jacob Ramsey from Aston Villa, I'm still banging that drum. I still think if you can't go get Jude Bellingham, and for rightful reasons, in terms of if he's going to cost too much money and that deal's not on the table, in terms of that, who's that next one no one's talking about for me? I really like Jacob Ramsey from Villa. I like Jacob Ramsey as well. Hell of a player. Um, stay, Adam says, stay away from Mason Mount. He's overrated. I, I disagree, mate. I think great footballer. Th- there is not one player performing well in that Chelsea team, and, and I don't think any player could perform well. How do you gel when the squad changes game to game to game to game? Their form has been better of late, I must say. But all in all, I think it's quite hard to, you know, say a player has performed well or not, given the turmoil surrounding that club. Um, mm. Yeah, SJ Bart saying that the young ship has sailed. I agree. Tom, back to three, two, ones. We, we love a digress. Um, Bruno for three. I think An- Anthony for two. His impact off the bench, quite positive. I, just, I don't know if it was Anthony's impact or just the sub in regards to the, the way that changed. Okay, Bruno came a little bit deeper and we had a little bit more width in regards to that. So I don't know if it was Anthony um, individually. He scores, obviously, but uh, did he I'm mean to score? Did he mean to score that? It's a weird one. Um, I think he means to score. I don't know if he meant to do it in that fashion in terms of I think he was trying to direct it that way, whether if he actually meant it to sort of go over the goalkeeper the way he did. It's one of the greatest goals I've ever seen. I'm not sure that was the case, but I think he has tried. He has obviously tried to shoot. I don't know what the what sort of direction he did try to get on it though, but um, I look at match winning goal by Savitza. I do look at David De Gea, big save, Anthony sub. So um, look, I think we do agree, Bruno for three points. Um, well, I'll throw it for you for two. I liked Anthony's impact. Uh, a, a bit of variety in his game, but I, look, if I'm being entirely honest, Tom, I thought United were that bad. I mean, outside of Bruno, I got to be honest, I, I didn't really, yeah. and I, I don't mean to be negative here, but. Just being honest, like I didn't look at any individual performance and say, Yep, that that were good. If it's not a handball on the line, we're having a very different discussion of Fulham win one nil. Absolutely. 
Um, I'll say Anthony because I think he got us going in the right direction, got into the box in a good situation. Uh, I like what he did, positive impacts. So I'll I'll say Anthony for two personally, um, if you agree with that. And then one point, I mean, yeah, I guess a bit of scores. I guess he gets us two, two one up. Um, I think it's harsh on Dehaver. It's harsh on Dehaver. A lovely bit of work by Sancho on Shaw. Um, you're right in regards to that. It's a bit to go. Ultimately, De Gea did play very well, but ultimately, it's a bit. So it's a match-winning goal, and um, ultimately, also becomes I think from memory, I think his first Austrian to play it's for Man United. So his first Austrian to play, ultimately, his first Austrian to score as well. So a um, big moment for him. Absolutely. All right. So are we landing that way? Uh, look, I'm with you on De Gea save, like the Mitrovic header. But outside of that, yeah, big save. I'm with you, but I, I, I don't... just would have stopped it being two 0 not one 0 that's the thing. I just, I, I think overall, it wasn't like he got peppered a, a goal and he had to make countless saves. But so that's why I'm stopping short of uh, De Gea for a point. But uh, are we comfortable? Bruno three, Anthony two, Sabitza one. That's the way it rolls. We're not giving you the three, two, one tally board anymore. We're behind closed doors. We will bring that out at the end of the season. So uh, if you are keeping track, maybe you'll know. But if you're not, you'll just have to wait and see. Uh, but Tom, Eric Ten Hag. Where do we go to from here? What's the focus now? Do, do you expect any players to pull up any niggles? Do you expect uh, Marcus Rashford a bit of a sore hamstring? You're tired. Morning? Unfortunately not. I think in terms of the way just his current group of players, the way they view their national teams, thank God Rafael Varane's obviously retired from international duty. But I think all those other names, especially our South Americans, I think they love playing for their country and, and they have every right to, of course. But I, I think all our players are going to go away. I think, unfortunately, we're going to pick up one or two niggles. Um, fingers crossed that's not the case, but you can definitely see a situation where that does happen. You would like the club and Eric Ten Hag and the players to um, maybe pull, apply a little bit of pressure to keep one or two players back in Manchester. But um, unfortunately, that is not going to be the case, I don't think. But in regards to where to now, and just in regards to this chat, Larry, I think you missed out one of the main parts I did want to discuss. Mitrovic oh, look, and that I, red I was card. Come to that right at the end. I thought it was it was too juicy. I had to. Oh, you, you can save it end. for the end. But in regards to it, the impact that had on the match, we're, we're talking about three, two, ones, and okay, what changed the game? Mitrovic changed the game. He's he's he is actually nuts. <laughs> what he did is like I, I've seen the memes. I've seen people laugh. That is the reason why kids don't want to be referees anymore. Like, you can't do that. It was so unprofessional. There are millions of people who watch football. He's going to get a massive ban. A massive The stupidity. Ban. Okay, the stupidity of doing that, 100% agree. What's he doing? Stupid. Ban him, of course. My more so stupidity, what was he arguing over? I don't know. It's not a it handball. Clear as day handball, clear as day red card. I'm just thinking, ultimately, like, it's not a judgment decision. Like It's clear as day. And I'm just thinking, what on earth is he arguing about? That's my first question to him. Second question will be, why are you acting like that? But um, what, what sort of band do you, did you give him now? Because if you look at, look, let's not sort of compare apples and oranges, but you look at other bands, whether it be for serious stuff, like whether it be racism or spitting, they're these sort of unique situations which don't happen every sort of week. Those sort of unique red cards, okay, this is a five-game band, this is an eight-game band. Pushing a referee, well, not pushing a referee. You can argue Bruno Fernandez was a push of a referee in a, in a completely different context, but this one was more than a push. This was kind of an, an aggressive elbow. Like the referee had a back up. Yeah, but like an aggressive elbow, which you didn't know, look, it wasn't assault, but in the street, someone could fall over and call it assault, sort of thing. And I'm just thinking, ultimately, what type of ban do you give? Because I'd support think, him missing a third of the se- a third of the season. I, I, I think really I think they might give him the rest of the season. I think they might give him ten games. 
I think they might make an example of him. Whether that's right or wrong, I'm not sure. I'm not sure what the right thing is, but um, I think it's going to be bigger than what a lot of people expect. I think it could go beyond that. I really do. I think it's going to be a big suspension because how many games left in the league? Ten or so for Fulham. A bit over there. I think we're almost at that run-in stage. There must be eleven or yeah. twelve games. I'm with you, Tom. I'll be amazed if he plays for the rest of this season. Because the, the the reality is that doesn't happen often. But when it does happen, you need to make sure it doesn't happen again. Or when the next time it happens, it's in 10, 20 years time from now. Because what did Paolo Di Canio get uh, a little little bit before your time, Larry? But anyone uh, in the live chat, yeah, um, what did Paolo Di Canio get? He, he pushed the referee over. Yeah, well, when he was playing, obviously, against Arsenal, he was playing for Sheffield Wednesday at the time. He pushed the – look, the ref, referee took I'll a little bit of a out. dive, to be fair. But um, uh, I'm sure he would have got a hefty ban as well. I forget what it was at the time. But um, I, I think they, they simply will have to make an example of him. All right. Stay – bear with me. I'm going to I'm gonna find this. Uh, well, Larry's fine. That Palo de Canio, what a player. Anyone in the live chat, obviously, unfortunately, has that oh, good moment at oh. Old Trafford. Where he knocks it past Fabio Bartes, who was playing the offside trap. But Palo de Canio, one of not favourite players, but just that sort of iconic Premier League um, image. He always sort of popped up with those goal goal of the season contenders. But ultimately, he got eleven but, matches and a ten thousand yeah, okay. pound fine. Okay, if he gets eleven games, so yeah, I, I think Mitrovic very well could miss the rest of the season, which would yeah, be eleven I think games. The rest of the season, I think we'll get the rest of the season for sure. Uh, Andrew here. Mitrovic got what he deserved. If uh, Mitrovic keeps discipline, anything can happen in 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 the penalty. Yet Fulham gave a, a winning game to him. Yeah, absolutely. Um, can they win the game with about, you? What about Mar- uh, Marco Silva, uh, the the manager for Fulham? What did you make of his red card? Did did you agree with that? He was very defensive of his actions at full time. But again, again I, I just I'm not sure what he's arguing about. That may might be a previous call. He's saying, "Well, why didn't you go?" I understand that, but in terms of look, it's very easy. Obviously, if it was our manager, we'd be backing him and saying he's right to get in the face of the the referee. It's one of those things. I completely understand yeah. that. But in regards to this handball, it was a clear handball, a clear red card. There is nothing to argue about, and you could argue Mitrovic is solely responsible for his actions. Of course, no one else is to blame but Bar Mitrovic. But he could really sit there and say, "Well, hang on, if my manager didn't lose his head, I would have kept it a little bit cooler." So ultimately, the manager is the ultimate leader. And um, he's the one who's lost his call first. So Mitrovic is to blame, of course. But tell um, the manager, um, how can he go and punish Mitrovic now? He can't. Because he, yeah, he did the same thing. Yeah, embarrassing. Embarrassing. I, I loved to. He got interviewed uh, by a journalist at full time, Marco Silva. And um, the journalist asked him a very valid question. He goes, did you lose your head a little bit? And he's like, no, I didn't lose my head. He got defensive of his performance. Then he goes into the press conference and calls Mitrovic stupid. And I'm like, mate, you're the biggest hypocrite in the world. Like, yeah, it would be a messy situation. And you've potentially lost the dressing room because you've acted like a moron yourself and then you're throwing your players under the bus. And then he's sitting there, oh, well, we were the better team over United. Yeah, but you ultimately lost the game because you weren't professional. Yeah, no, it's going to cause not not whether you call them issues. I'm not sure, but it's got a bit sort of tense around that training ground now because Fulham were very close to qualifying for a semi final. Ultimately, they get Brighton in a semi final, and on one day you could see Fulham in the FA Cup final. And ultimately, yeah. those players will be looking. Oh, hang on, okay, we take responsibility. But ultimately, if you kept your call, that wouldn't have happened, and we would be in an FA Cup semi final. So, um, not a good position for the manager. And you would talk about managers. A segue. It's calm compared to what's happening at Tottenham and Antonio Conte. God, thank oh. God, that's not happening at Old Trafford. Oh. His post-match press but conference. That would, have, that would have happened at Old Trafford if he was the manager. Yeah, and that's More why I'm so. happy he's not. 
It is chaos. So uh, if if Rob ends up seeing this, Rob, this is why Antonio Conte should not be Manchester United manager. But uh, on that, Tom, on on um, Marco Silva and Mitrovic particularly, there have been a lot of United fans who would ultimately have argued. I'd actually like Mitrovic as a backup striker. Some would mm. even have said in January, go get him. Does his behaviour towards the referee turn you off a little bit at all? Definitely turns the, the club off. The, the club won't see this. Obviously, the Mason Greenwood situation is very different, but we look how we do have to tread carefully around that situation in terms of the attention and scrutiny around sort of behaviour towards referees is a huge thing for clubs now as well. And if you have someone who's going to be coming off a 10-game ban for pushing a referee... Um, he's not someone I don't think is going to be walking through the doors at Old Trafford. In regards to the striker, I think he's that type of striker. In regards to what we have, if we had no one, who could you get on deadline day on loan? Okay, bring Veghorst in. If your number one, one or two targets weren't there and Mitrovic was on the market, okay, you could go get Mitrovic from Fulham sort of thing. I think he's one of those players. I don't think he should be the top of any list to go and say, okay, how can we win the Premier League next season? Mitrovic is going to be the answer. I think if deadline day and you've got no one, okay, bring him in like a Veghorst or like a, a Gallo. I understand that. But um, he's not the player for me. He's obviously a handful and he'd be very hard to play against. But um, Vegos is hard to play against. Okay, T- Teams ultimately throughout 38 games can deal with it. I think um, Mitrovic is doing very well, but he's doing very well where he is. Um, being that second striker, playing 10, 15 games a season and last 20 minutes off the bench, I, I don't know if he's going to be happy with that. So ultimately, uh, yeah, I would stay clear of uh, Mitrovic. Yeah. Also because I feel like if he can do that to a referee... I, I think if he if he was in Eric Ten Hag's dressing room, I think he'd get absolutely annihilated. But um, what, what do you think would happen? Because again, completely different context. But let's say it was the same. Let's say it was the same incident as the Mitrovic one. So not Bruno Fernandez with the thing at Anfield. Again, it's a very unique situation. There was nothing in that. But let's say a Bruno Fernandez or a Marcus Rashford or a Casemiro did what Mitrovic did. How do you think Eric Ten Hag would deal with it? Just I let actually, the law deal with it, or? No, I, I think he'd come hard on him. Like, to be honest, if I don't think he would... Look, it's, it's really difficult to say. If I, if, I was, if I was my manager and the manager said, actually, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to sit you out for a game so you know, learn a bit of discipline, I would support that. I really would. Because I think you've got a responsibility to show these players that there is hierarchy. If you do it to a referee, who's to say they don't do it to their manager? Who's to say they don't do it to a more senior official in the football club. You know what I mean? Mm. I just think you need to decide that. And this is where, this is the separation between the good football clubs and the elite football clubs. The elite football clubs have a culture. Real Madrid had the best individual players you could ever ask for. The Galactico era, the true Galactico era in the, to, in the noughties. They didn't win squat. I think they won one La Liga. And, and the, that's the reason for that is because they didn't have a culture. You had individual players who thought that they were the best player in the world. And when you have that, and it's, you're not buying into the team culture, and team culture is about what do we stand for? What values do we believe in? What's our ethos? How do we communicate? How do we represent ourselves? The way Mitrovic represented himself is an embarrassment to Fulham Football Club. And if I was a football fan of that football club, I don't want to see him play for the rest of the season. Um, so, yeah. if, well, if that think, was how, you think man, how he potentially hurts Fulham's chances? I'm not sure where, what their league situation is, but I'm oh, sure no, they're... They won't get relegated, but... Oh, no, 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 I'm looking, I'm looking up. Yeah, I'm looking up towards potential European football. Oh, look, they're definitely going to be hurt now. I'll just bring up the table. Um, but it, it will hurt for sure because he'll get a big suspension. And without him, there's just not a lot of goals in that football team. 
Um, so they sit, they're currently ninth. Uh, and they're only, they're three points off Liverpool in sixth. Yes. It's criminal. Um, and because he won't, he, he probably won't play the rest of the season to get that. They, they won't make it mm-hmm. to seventh. They won't make it to seventh. Uh, who, who oddly enough is Brighton. So we do look ahead. Um, but Tom, I think that's a good place to leave it, mate. Um, lots of football content to come your way. The international break is here, but do not worry. The podcast has you covered. Lots of debates, lots of discussion, lots of news, ownership debates. It's all going to be here. So make sure you are subscribed if you're new. Help us reach that milestone of 2000 by the end of the season, which isn't far away. End of the season ends in end of May if we make it to the FA Cup or Europa League. So not too I think the far FA Cup's away. actually the first, first week of June now. Uh, it's obviously got pushed back. A bit of a late start to the season, I think, I'm or just the extra that. fixtures. I'm happy with that. That means I've only got I've got to survive five weeks before preseason tour. Love it. Uh, but the football comes thick and fast, so make sure you are subscribed if you're new. Like the video if you do enjoy what we're about. And uh, Tom, I'm sure I'll see you soon, mate. Always, mate. Have a good one. Have a good one. Cheers.